0: Hello and welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast. I'm Kevin, your friendly neighborhood forensic toxicologist. And my friends, it's been a while, that's for sure. I mean, the the last episode of ToxCast was several months ago. Yet somehow, the ToxCast has returned. But dear listeners, I have missed you. I have missed you guys so much. And I'm back. I'm so happy to be back at this. So let's catch up for a bit. It's been a while. The job. The job in forensic toxicology is going well. Lots of court appearances, lots of toxicology. And that's all I'm going to really say about that, because this is not about my job. Something else that was that happened during the summer. The poison garden. Something that I look forward to every spring and summer into the fall. The poison garden bloomed. I had lots of digitalis or foxglove, lots of delphinium. My ricinus plants got huge. Um, They were in the area of about 12 to 13 feet tall, which is kind of amazing to me that something you can grow from a tiny castor bean seed and get to about 12 to 13 feet tall in a single growing season, which is just merely months. So that's always fascinating to me. The wisteria that I actually started from seed grew, was looking good after one season. Hopefully it comes back next year. Uh, The datura and brugmansia plants that I grew from seed this year actually sprouted and flowered a lot of nice, beautiful flowers. Sad to say that my atropa belladonna, my aconitine, those did not sprout this year. So We'll see what happens next year, next growing season, give it an extra year or so. I'm going to try to add some more this year for, um, the poison garden. I got some, um, I have purchased some henbane seeds. Um, I purchased some tobacco seeds, some wormwood and some colchicum. And yes, I said colchicum. So don't shudder at that. If you're a toxicology nerd like me, don't shudder, but I'm going to try to grow some and see if it'll grow here. Um, I'd love to try to grow mandrake. But I don't think it's going to grow at all in this hardiness region. So if you have any ideas for me, send them my way. I live in um, hardiness zone 5. So in the Midwest. Uh, So again, not everything can grow here. But if you have an idea, I'll give it the old college try. I'll buy some seeds. I'll buy a plant somewhere. I will try to grow it here in the Midwest. But now... After the Poison Garden came and went, we now find ourselves in the wintertime here in the Midwest. It's gotten cold. Christmas has come and gone, so I hope you've had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. And now we find ourselves in 2023. And I usually don't make resolutions for the new year other than have more fun. But I would really love to bring you more ToxCast more regularly this year. So now that I've said it, Let's hope that I don't jinx it. And before we get on to the actual episode, I'd like to draw your attention to the new logo for the year. Uh, Hopefully you saw it uh, via whatever app you use to listen to this podcast. But I like it. I like the skull. I like the flowers. I think it brings a fresh start to to Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast. Look at it. Check it out. So today's episode... Episode 23, we've got a little bit of a smathering or smithering or smatter or smitter, whatever the actual word is um, to describe a smaller but still important happening in the news to talk about today. Um, Eat your greens has been a long time mantra for healthy eating, but you may want to think twice about that though. Imagine making a nice salad for lunch, sitting down, enjoying it. And then going back to work or whatever you were doing prior to eating. Only to find yourself feeling a little bit off after an hour or two at your desk. Or you might be folding laundry or washing dishes. Whatever you might be doing. You just feel a little bit off. Maybe you start seeing things that aren't there. Maybe your heart starts racing. Your mouth gets really dry. You become confused and have no idea what the heck is going on. So this is where I want you to remember Popeye, you know, the guy, Popeye, the sailor man who had huge muscles, a girlfriend named olive oil, a nemesis named Bluto. Um, Remember how he got his big forearms, those big muscles, not by lifting weights, but by spinach. Well, what we are talking about today is not that kind of spinach. That is not Popeye's spinach that we are talking about. But that's what many people in this story from the land down under found themselves dealing with just a bit ago. Yes, the land down under is our friends in Australia. In the news over the last couple of weeks, two, three weeks um, in Australia, the Food Standards Australia, New Zealand, F-S-A-N-Z, coordinated multiple recalls of baby spinach product mixes due to potential contamination with what was characterized as, and I quote, unsafe plant material, end quote, or simply as, quoted, weed, end quote. There were actually four different brands of spinach affected, and this is straight from the f Sands website. The, uh, the brands are Riviera Fresh, Fresh Salad Company, Woolworths, and Kohl's brand products were affected. Uh, the government organization advised people not to consume these products because people and when I say people, as of December 18th, 2022, there were 190 potential cases, 190 people who, when they consumed these spinach products, they begin to experience symptoms such as delirium and confusion, hallucinations, dilated pupils, rapid heartbeat. They got flushed or had flushed or red face skin, blurred vision, dry mouth and skin. And as with the food industry, products do regularly get recalled for safety. But reports of these kind of symptoms? Hallucinations and delirium after eating lettuce or spinach? That's why I said earlier, imagine you're eating something, eating a salad for lunch, and then an hour later you start seeing things that aren't there. That ain't right. That ain't normal. So... If you do follow toxicology or you follow this podcast, you'll recognize those symptoms pretty much right away. Um, I'll pause a second, let you think about it for a second, and if you want to guess what we're talking about. Sounds like an anticholinergic substance, right? Well, what grows in the wild that may cause this issue? I already said its name at the beginning of this podcast, so just if you can go back to the beginning of this podcast, just think about it. I already said the name. Well, Riviera Foods actually released more information a couple of weeks ago that the contaminant was indeed a weed that they call thorn apple. Thorn apple is a common name for the plant Datura stramonium, and I mentioned Datura Earlier in the show when I was talking briefly about my poison garden, Datura stramonium is also recognized as jimson weed. So let's talk about Datura for a moment. Datura itself is a genus of nine species of poisonous plants belonging to the nightshade family. Datura inoxia and Datura stramonium are probably the best well known to us here in the United States. As we said, they're commonly named thorn apples or jimson weeds or devil's trumpets, but they can be referred to by other names, um, including moonflower or or hell's bells. So just think of the ACDC song. Um, It can be called stinkweed or loco weed or ditchweed or devil's snare or even Jamestown weed. It can grow as a weed in places, particularly from the northeastern United States down to Texas. And it is a plant, again, that I have already said that I have in my poison garden. If you've seen this plant before, people do grow this. It does produce some very pretty flowers. The flowers typically point up from the plant, hence the name for it also being devil's trumpets. The flowers are um, typically white or purple in color. The plant itself has a prickly, spiky seed pod that um, at the end of its, their life cycle in the fall months, they will split open. And they'll release thousands of tiny black seeds. Um, I'll I'll actually post a picture of one of my Datura plant flowers on social media. So if you don't know what they look like, you can see what pretty flowers they actually are. Because they're really cool flowers. So when we're talking Datura, all, all parts of the plant can be toxic. But the areas of most concern are the flowers and the seed as they contain tropane alkaloids atropine hyoscyamine and scopolamine the leaves typically contain about 0.2 to 0.45% of those alkaloids out of all of these compounds that you just heard the atropine the hyoscyamine and the scopolamine you've probably most likely heard of atropine before because um it, in pop culture and media and things like that, um, it's become an infamous name or a more famous name of Atropa belladonna, otherwise known as deadly nightshade. Atropine's chemical formula is C17H23NO3. That's a molecular weight of 289.3 grams per mole. Hyosamine is the L isomer of atropine. So it shares the same chemical formula and molecular weight. It's just the L isomer of atropine. Scopolamine's chemical formula is C17H21NO4. Its molecular weight is 303.3 grams per mole. So atropine, hyocyamine, and scopolamine act as anticholinergic drugs. That is, they inhibit the parasympathetic nervous system. And they do this by blocking the binding of acetylcholine to the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors in neurons. If you're reading something, you might see these receptors abbreviated as M-A-C-H-R-S. Um, I like to call them MACKERS. Um, but these compounds act as antagonists of that muscarinic acetylcholine receptor. So when you think about the parasympathetic nervous system, it's responsible for the movement of smooth muscles of the GI tract, gastrointestinal tract, the urinary tract, the lungs, the sweat glands, otherwise typically thought of as rest and digest. That is a slowing of the heart, increased rates of digestion, urination promotion, narrowing of the airways. You can think about what happens when these receptors are blocked. And the best way to think about that is the mnemonic... Blind as a bat, mad as a hatter, red as a beet, hot as a hare, dry as a bone, the bowel and bladder lose their tone, and the heart runs alone. Which describes the overall effects and toxic toxidrome of these substances. So, blind as a bat, your pupils become dilated, it's also known as medriasis. It's hard to see with dilated pupils, your vision becomes blurred. And you know this and experience this when you go to the eye doctor and you get your, your, your pupils dilated. Mad as a hatter, delirium, confusion. Red as a beet, your skin is flushed. You get red face and uh, red skin. Hot as a hair, or in some variations of the mnemonic, it's hot as hell. Um, but your body temperature increases. You become hot or hyperthermic. Dry as a bone. The mouth becomes dry. Your eyes become dry. You don't sweat. The bowel and bladder lose their tone. This one is pretty self-explanatory, but in simplest terms, you can't poop and you can't pee. There are no bowel sounds and you retain urine. The heart runs alone. Rapid heartbeat, also known as tachycardia. So again... Think about what these people were experiencing after eating spinach or salad. How would you like it if one minute you were fine, and then shortly thereafter, 30 to 90 minutes after ingestion, you were hallucinating about the giant salad monster in front of you? Not a fun experience, if, you, if, I, if I might say so. So stay tuned after this break. I'll be back to tell you about some Datura exposures and experiences. All right, we are back on the record here at ToxCast. So this isn't the first time that this has happened. Datura poisonings have happened in the food industry before, and it actually happened over the last couple of years in 2020 and 2021. So if you look at news reports, um, a news report in Euronews from July 2020 in eastern France, a family of four people wound up in intensive care after eating what they believe to be spinach. The story goes that they thought they had grown something called tetragonia, otherwise known as New Zealand spinach, for which they had bought seeds from a botanical shop. The year prior, they planted them, but it didn't sprout. A year later, present time, they sprouted. The family assumed it was tetragonia. Unfortunately for them, it wasn't tetragonia. It was datura. They ended up in the hospital in intensive care, and they did survive with the hospital's help. In scientific literature, a Plakova et al. reported anticholinergic poisoning associated with frozen spinach um, in the 42nd International Congress of the European Association of Poison Centers and Clinical Toxicologists. That's a mouthful, um, but EAPCCT. Uh, in the May 2021 issue of the Clinical Toxicology Journal. So they reported some poisoning with frozen spinach. In that report, the authors noted that there was an increased number of toxicological consultations at the poison centers around Easter after consumption of deep frozen spinach puree sold in stores in Slovakia. The most commonly reported symptoms from those poison centers, as you guessed it, Tiredness, dizziness, dry mouth, and blurred vision. Many people also reported confusion, disorientation, and hallucinations. Symptoms occurred one to two hours after ingestion, as expected, and disappeared within about 48 hours. The Slovakian State Veterinary and Food Administration tested the potentially contaminated frozen spinach samples, and they did confirm the presence of atropine and scopolamine in those products. So they actually concluded that the Datura grew with the spinach in the field as a weed, and then it contaminated the spinach due to insufficient entry and exit controls, a.k.a. the company doing the farming and harvesting didn't have good quality control on their product, which is unfortunate. If you search more scientific literature um, you will find many other instances of Datura poisonings over the years. Some intentional, some unintentional. Um, the These sort of food poisonings and contamination that we just talked about are unintentional. They did not go out and seek out Datura to eat. It got into their food supply on accident. But you do run across intentional poisonings, meaning people know that they are ingesting Datura and they are ingesting it for the effects. So all the way back in 1979, uh, Chervet et al. published a case report series in the Pediatrics Journal regarding Jimson or loco weed abuse in adolescents. They did a three-year study where they described 29 patients who were hospitalized because of intentional ingestion of Jimson weed. 22 of the 29 were males, We see this all the time in toxicology. As a side note, males tend to do dumb stuff at a higher rate. And it seems that's the case, but maybe that's just anecdotal. But I've seen that from many other people and many other reports. Males do dumb stuff at higher rates. Anyways, all patients in this uh, report reported mydriasis, hallucinations, and disorientation. In most cases, tachycardia, dry mouth, and eyes and flushed hot faces were also observed. In Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, or the MMWR, in 2003, it was reported that during October 11th to November 20th of 2002, the Cincinnati Drug and Poison Information Center was notified of 14 children in the Akron, Cleveland area who became ill after intentional exposure to anoxia seeds. They either ate the seeds or they brew them in a tea and drink the tea. Of the reports, 86% were male. Again, just anecdotally because males seem to do dumb stuff more often. And the age range was 12 to 19 years old. So pretty young people. All 14 people um, uh, reported the hospital with dilated pupils, tachycardia, hallucinations, and urinary retention. The symptoms, again, lasted for about 24 to 48 hours and then resolved itself with only supportive care in the hospital with benzodiazepines. A little bit more recent, in 2007, Diker et al. reported a case in the European Journal of Internal Medicine detailing two Datura poisoning cases. And these were linked cases. In the first case... A 21-year-old man was found unconscious in a park and brought to a hospital. Upon admission, his body temperature was hot, 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 40 degrees Celsius. So that converts to 104 degrees Fahrenheit for any heathen who refuses to use Celsius these days. Um, His blood pressure was 90 over 60. He had a pulse rate of 140 per minute. So again, hot, fast heart rate. His eyes were dilated, his mouth and skin were dry, bowel sounds were diminished. Neurological exam was significant for a coma when not responding to pain. He was given supportive treatment. He regained consciousness a few hours later. Upon consciousness, he was able to kind of regain his mental status and he was able to talk, his pupil dilation improved. And then once he was able to talk, he told the doctors that he drank a tea that he brewed from Datura Seeds about two hours prior to hospital admission. About um, two hours after the admission of the first man, a second man was admitted to the hospital, a 19-year-old man who was found unconscious in the same park as that first man. He was brought to the hospital. On admission, his body temperature was a whopping 43.4 degrees Celsius. Okay, again, for the heathens doing the ca- the calculations and conversions, that's 110.1 degrees Fahrenheit, a body temp of 110.1. His blood pressure was 130 over 90. His pulse rate was 160 per minute. Again, skin and mouth was dry. He had sunburns on his face, his body, and body, indicating that he had been exposed to sunlight for quite some time. Pupils were markedly dilated with no response to light. Bowel sounds were decreased. Clinical tests in the hospital indicated the development of rhabdomyolysis and metabolic acidosis. Um, After a few hours, his blood pressure decreased. He experienced atrial fibrillation requiring, requiring cardioversion. He was sent to the ICU where he was treated with hypothermic conditions, hydration, IV administration of physostigmine um he developed disseminated intravascular clotting and then he died shortly thereafter he never regained consciousness while in the hospital after being transported there so you see those couple of cases and you see if someone does this intent does this to themselves intentionally it's something they typically never choose to do again because of some of the effects. And you'll see that in stories later on when we start talking about this again, of experiences with, these, with uh, these substances. But on the other hand, because of some of their significant effects, atropine and scopolamine have also found themselves as valuable medications. And they both find themselves on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. I mean, historically, gymson weed extract, also called um, stramonium, has been used as a muscle relaxant. It was used in cigarettes for asthmatics. It was used as a palliative medication for hemorrhoids. If you look at back at other uses, it was also actually used to treat rabies at one point. I didn't mention this earlier, but it fits in really well here. I actually I started a collection of old poison bottles and medications. And right now I'm staring at a container of Dr. Wetzel's powder right now on my shelf right in front of me when I record this. I'm not sure if you ever heard of this stuff, but it was a medication made by Myers Laboratories. Um, this was a powder sold for, and I quote, temporary relief of paroxysms of asthma. The, the powder itself contains 42.02% powdered stromonium leaves and powdered lobelia herb. Which is a different plant, not Datura, that contains the alkaloid lobeline. The instructions on the container say to burn from one half to one level teaspoon of powder in a saucer, close the eyes, inhale the smoke through the mouth by full, deep breathing. And it says good results are obtained by inhaling through a funnel. I'll actually post a picture of this product on social media as well, so look out for that if you've never seen Dr. Wetzel's powder. It's a neat um, old medication, um, and it's a pretty cool thing. Um, but yeah, it's it actually was used for asthma back in the day, but in in modern pharmaceuticals. Uh, in medicine. Atropine is typically given intravenously. It's given intramuscularly. It can be consumed orally or via the eye. It's commonly used to treat bradycardia and can be used to dilate the eyes by causing mydriasis. It can also be used as a pre-anesthetic medication to reduce uh, salivary and bronchial secretions. So just think of its effects and, and what it does. A scopolamine can be taken by mouth, subcutaneously. It can be taken in the eye, intravenously, via um, probably most famously a transdermal patch. Uh, it's commonly used to treat postoperative nausea and vomiting, motion sickness, seasickness, gastrointestinal spasms, renal spasms, uh, IBS or um, irritable, bowel, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, bowel colic, uh, the symptoms of Parkinson's, as well as eye inflammation. Um, typical treatment for poisoning. I typically don't talk a lot about treatment, but I already mentioned the quote unquote antidote for anticholinergic poisoning. Um, but typical treatment when someone comes to the hospital for these things, I'm not a medical doctor. I've only read about this, these things but typical treatment for poisoning with these sort of substances includes dec- decontamination and supportive therapy so gastric lavage activated charcoal then they have fluid replacement uh, benzodiazepines may be given in cases of severe agitation and seizure beta blockers may be given for as a treatment for tachycardia And as I already mentioned earlier, uh, physostigmine is considered an antidote to atropine or scopolamine poisoning. And um, physostigmine is a substance that is an acetylcholinesterase enzyme inhibitor. So basically that medication will block the breakdown or metabolism of acetylcholine in the neuronal synaptic cleft. And that blockage... Allows for the concentration of acetylcholine to increase at the postsynaptic membrane, which then allows for displacement of the anticholinergic substance from the receptor site. And that essentially reverses that toxicity. In Uh, Cases with severe intoxication, um, comprising seizures, agitation with or without hallucinations, um, excessive hypertension or hypotension, arrhythmias, comas, uh, they do recommend the use of physostigmine. Uh, Typical doses of that are 1 to 2 milligrams given intravenously and then repeated administration every 30 to 60 minutes until there's some sort of clinical improvement. I do recall a recent portrayal of Datura poisoning in pop culture. Uh, there's not a lot of of Jimson weed or Datura in the movies, in pop culture, in in the media. You don't typically hear about it. This the occasional poisoning, but it was actually used as a plot device in the second season of a TV series made by USA Network called The Sinner. Um, it debuted in the, the center debuted in 2017, but this was the second season, um, in 2018. Um, you can find this on Netflix. So in and this a spoiler warning, I mean, it's four or five years old at this point, but in season two, episode one of the center from 2018, 13 year old boy named Julian poisons his parents tea with Jimson weed. So upon smelling the tea, he gives he gives his parents uh, two cups of tea, and they both take it. The dad remarks that, oh, this smells like licorice. After drinking the tea, the parents begin to start coughing. The dad is in the shower, and he falls to the ground after coughing, collapses, and then he dies. Uh, the mom's like getting ready for the day, combing her hair or whatever. And then she begins to convulse and she vomits and then she drops dead. And then eventually and she convulses and, and dies. And this happens all within minutes of consumption of the tea. And during the investigation, it's also noted that plant itself, when you come in contact with it, it gives you some sort of rash on your skin. So let's talk about this portrayal for a second. Because we see this all the time in movies and in TV, pop culture, everywhere. Do you think Datura was presented correctly here? Do you think it smells like licorice? Do you think it occurs or the effects occur within minutes? Do you think um, it causes some sort of rash on your skin if you touch it? No, it doesn't. Those effects are not consistent. Sure, convulsions, seizure can happen. Honestly, this is quite sad to me as a toxicologist and an avid pop culture guy. I mean, it really just takes a few minutes for a layperson to research the effects of the said, of said substance. So number one, Jimson weed does not smell like licorice in any way, shape or form. So I don't know why they said it smelled like licorice just for the, I mean, characterization. I don't know, but Jimson weed does not smell like licorice. In an interview with IndieWire in 2018, the showrunner, Derek Simmons, stated, and I quote, we took a few creative liberties, you think? Uh, He also said, the length of time it takes from ingestion to actually dying is longer in reality. And that is correct. I already mentioned the onset of effects. The director knew this was incorrect and he still went with it due to corrective license. But, I mean, of course, if you take something by mouth the onset of effects will be a little longer. They're not immediate as you would like smoke it or inhale it or inject it. Because if you smoke it or inhale it or inject it, it's getting either directly into the bloodstream or it's being rapidly uh, absorbed into the bloodstream. If you're taking something orally, it's got to absorb via the gastric system. So it's going to take that 30 to 90 minutes or so for those effects to be felt. So after absorption, But this was just minutes in the show. But, I mean, he did say, I mean, they took a few creative, at least they recognized that. But again, when I saw that this, um, that Jimson weed was used in the show, I thought, oh, cool. But then when I saw how it was used, I mean, it it, it will poison and it could potentially kill you when used in in the right dosage. But, it will take a lot more time for the effects to be felt. And it does not smell like licorice. So that was fictional. I get it. I get it. I get it. I mean, creative license was taken with the effects. I get why. But it still makes me a bit sad they chose that route to misrepresent a substance. I mean, it's TV. And what they showed on the TV episode was good drama, but people, directors, producers, if you ever want a toxicological consult, the chemistry consult, I'm available for that. I will talk to you, hire me. I will let you know if your drug or your chemical or the science, the chemistry or the toxicology that you're using in your series is correct. But that's fictional. Like I said, if you want real Life experiences, real life. One good place to read about those said real life experiences with substances is the Arrowhead website. And not surprisingly, dear listener, some of the reported trip experiences with Datura, especially bad trips, are pretty wild. Um, So I'm going to end this episode with reading of two of those bad trip experiences from Arrowhead. The entire experience and narratives are quite lengthy. So I'm going to only try to read the excerpts of, of some of these experiences. The second um, experience is quite a bit longer even in the excerpts than the first. But hang with me, gather around, listen to these poor unfortunate souls and their trips that they took. So experience one is from 2002 and it's titled Hide the Knives. So you already know it's going to be a good story. So Everything I read from that here now is a narrative of what was written about this person's effects and their experience. After ingestion, I didn't get the drunken feeling as bad as most people seem to. I was in fairly good shape. I didn't start getting the effects quickly. The dark woods provided a lot of shapes that outrightly became picks. I surprised and probably scared my friends half to death when I suddenly took up the camp machete and went to do glorious battle with the attacking savages. Of this, I have little recollection. I had been lucid for quite some time, but near dusk, the battle began. This is what my friend described. You went from talking about pygmy tribes and the yeti into, they're here. You jumped up from your log, grabbed the machete, and ran through the fire and into the tree line, hacking everything in sight. We were too scared to come to you. In fact, we were worried that you were going to start thinking we were orcs too, so we left. They left him there. My friends literally fled into the woods to get away from me. I don't remember much until I came across a dead animal, which could have been a whale or a unicorn or a megalotherium for all I knew. I spent a lot of time fighting Danes or Picts or whatever, I read a lot of fantasy books and play magic cards, so goblins and murgos and skullbears, trolls, gnolls, and other assorted menagerie of evil was out to get me. Somehow I wandered into a swamp and lost my sword, which was the machete. My friends found me hours later. It wasn't hard. I left a trail of hacked brush and I was screaming quite loudly. I have vivid memories of terrible things coming out of the dark for me. The scary thing was, for the several hours I was alone, I didn't drink anything. Luckily, I was only half a mile away from camp. I didn't recognize my two friends when they came for me. I thought the flashlights were witch balls. I fought with them a little before I realized they were real and had water. I'm sure that I had peed myself and was really glad to get dry clothes on back at camp. I was in and out of lucid dreams the whole night. However, In addition to the four-day hangover, I cannot shake the uneasy feeling that I could have killed somebody or myself. I literally was a delusional nut running around with a dangerous weapon in the woods. I could have fallen on it. I shudder every time I think of that weekend. Given a choice between doing Datura again or eating an entire sheet of acid, I would eat the sheet. That's his advice, not mine, friends. Datura is not something to be effed with. And I'm a healthy, sane person with hallucinogenic experience. My advice, and this is from the the narrative's advice, you probably are not strong enough for it. And if you are better, if you are, you better not have a violent bone in your body or you can flip out easily. Have sober sitters will absolutely not permit you to be anywhere near dangerous places or objects. Or just don't do it because the hangover sucks and it really isn't all that fun. So that was experience one, kind of crazy, kind of crazy. Experience two is from 2011 and can be found on the Arrowwood website as titled "Claude by a Giant Eagle." And this one's really long, so I, I mean I took about half of it. Uh, Ricky bought eight datura seed pods with him, each containing of between eight, 80 to 100 seeds. Since there were four of us, two people would have to babysit while the other two could pop some seeds. So these people are a little bit more responsible. They have some trip sitters, they have some sober people, and they have some people that are going to become intoxicated. 7 p.m. I opened two seed pods, one for me, one for someone else. We swallowed down the seeds. 8 p.m. We spent the next hour talking and eating marshmallows with no clear effects setting in yet. So I popped another 50 seeds. Big mistake. Apart from the effects of the weed, because they had smoked marijuana or cannabis prior to this, which was always a good idea, I felt completely normal. I could stand and walk fine and hold a slightly slurred but coherent conversation. Fifteen minutes later, 8.15, I started feeling increasingly warm. Despite it being a chilly night, my body was radiating a huge amount of heat. And this is when the hallucinations started. I felt like I was sunbathing, though it was dark. I felt the sun envelop my body and drizzle it with golden rays of warmth. It felt divine. Everything was warm, loving, and inviting. Apparently by now I was down to my brawn knickers. My heart rate increased dramatically. I knew it was kicking in. 9 p.m., 45 minutes later. I was smoking a spliff, which didn't exist, and dropped it. So I crawled around looking for it, to no avail. I figured it must have somehow fallen through the floorboards of the porch, though that was technically impossible. I stepped off the porch and lay on the grass below, gazing at the stars. I felt like me and the stars were one. We were the same. I don't know why, but I particularly remember this feeling of belonging with these giant balls of burning gas. To me, they were tangible diamonds in the sky, and I was too. I could see for billions of miles into the sky. It was an enormous eternity of stars and patterned clusters. Although I was definitely hallucinating, everything felt intensely real. My mind felt normal, although my speech was slightly slurred and my walk was a little crooked. I felt something crawling under me as I lay in the grass, so I moved and saw a pool of earwigs weaving in and out of the earth that was once under me. I hate bugs, so I frantically rolled down the decline of grass onto the sand. That was the last thing I clearly remember. Everything else is as told to me by my friends, my faint memories and the camera footage taken that night. This is also where things started going wrong. I felt insatiable thirst, and I like I was stranded. I was yelling out for help, but only a mumble of jumbled words came out. I wasn't making any sense. I spent a good hour playing in the sand, throwing shells and rolling around. I picked up sand with my hand and watched it drop. I was mesmerized by its sheer awesomeness. I vaguely remember feeling like I was in a desert, and I felt intense fear and paranoia. Nothing seemed safe. The sun still felt as if it was beaming down delicious rays of heat. I was crawling on the sand, thirsty, desperate. I remember hearing sharp, loud noises. I needed water. I needed to pee. I needed to throw up. I needed to get out of this horrible, desolate place. I could only see things that were around 10 meters away. Everything else faded into bright light. I still have flashbacks and experience this at times. Felt like hours and hours had passed, but it was actually only 20 minutes. I don't know what went on in my head during that time, but it was frightening. I remember images of red giant bolts far larger than a house. 30 meters from me, the ocean roared. I heard the sound of water, and I wanted to run towards it, dive into this pool of infinity, and swallow water forever. Without warning, I snapped under my feet, ran like a bullet, dodging obstacles which didn't exist. Friend was only 10 or so meters away when I suddenly jolted. I heard heavy, loud footsteps behind me, going faster than me. To me, the water was safety. I was being chased, and the water was my only chance of survival. I managed to run into the shallows of the water where I felt sharp claws dig into my bare flesh from behind and force me onto the wet sand behind me. I must have thought it was a giant eagle or vulture because I kept screaming at my friend calling him a stupid bird and trying to grab his beak and hold it shut. I was moving frantically trying to escape his grasp but I couldn't. He lay on top of me holding me down for 30 minutes. My screaming had turned to tears and my kicking and punching had turned into scratching and hair pulling. I had very little control. Everything just happened without my mind's permission. I was on autopilot. I was so scared, so helpless, so alone, and so vacant. My mind was gone. Everything seemed real, and I found it impossible to separate reality from fantasy. Because as far as I knew, everything was real. My friend carried and dragged me into the beach house and held me in the shower. I was an absolute mess. I could no longer stand properly and would sway from side to side. The water burned. It felt like it was sizzling. But I gave into it and let the burn and melt me away. I literally felt like I was going down the drain. I thought the grains of sand being washed off my skin were pieces of me, swirling down, being carried by the burning acid water. Deep down into the drain, as if they meant nothing. I vomited four times within 30 second, 30 second to minute intervals. I stressed, started, stressfully started talking about being literally turned inside out, and again, I begged for it to stop. This was a hugely frightening experience. I was making funny funny groaning noises. My skin turned white, my eyes were wide open, and my pupils filled my entire iris. I suddenly noticed my friend in the shower holding me up. He looked different, far older and getting bigger and bigger the more I looked at him. I remember seeing my nose in the bottom corner of both eyes, which appeared to grow too. I could barely concentrate on anything. He dried me off, put me to bed. The entire room was spinning and turning upside down. I still felt like I needed to vomit even though I barfed everything out. I was hanging off the bed, rolling around, singing to myself. The music I heard, which was all in my head, was the most complex, incredible thing I ever heard. I thought of it like a skyscraper, layer upon layer upon layer, jammed together to create this mind-blowing fusion of beats and notes. By now, it was around 4am, and I was over the worst. I was so exhausted but couldn't sleep. I remember drifting in and out of reality. I still didn't know where I was or how I would gotten there, but the feeling of threat was no longer present. I remember reading a book in my mind, I knew all of the words, and I gradually woke up, but was still reading this book. When I woke up, I had massive cuts and bruises all over my body, which were actually just minor scrapes. So yes, I was still having hallucinations. I remember everything from which happened from here on out. I somehow managed to believe my mouth was on my forehead, so when I tried to drink a glass of water, it all poured down my face. The rest of the story is uh, fairly boring and uneventful, but the main effects of Datura lasted around 24 hours. I had difficulty understanding basic things, yet I could understand incredibly complex things in my head. Even now, two months later, I sometimes still see everything around me fade into a white light. As I said earlier, I experimented with Datura before, but this was the first and last time I'll have 150 seeds. I enjoyed it in the past, but I definitely won't ever be doing it again. Although my account of what happened may not sound so scary to the reader, I cannot emphasize enough how truly frightening this experience was. Not only had I managed to make a total ass out of myself, I could have easily drowned as well. In the past, I have done LSD several times. The thing that I both love and hate about Datura is that I really couldn't separate reality from hallucinations. However, when on acid, I knew what I was seeing didn't exist. I'll never swallow another Datura seed in my life. Bad times, bad times, bad times all around in both of these experiences. You can read a whole ton more over on Arrowwood. That's a great site for things like this. Um, you can see if people dose themselves, they write down the dosages, and they write their experiences and narratives. And you do have bad trips like this. So, um, again, go over to Arrowwood uh, on the website, and, um, and you can see these two stories in their entirety, or you'll find many, many, many more stories. And all the same, again, This is a substance that most people only ever intentionally ingest once. So there you have it. I mean, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the episode before the user experiences, spinach was contaminated with datura leaves. And this led to a lot of people hallucinating after eating salad. And who would have thunk that, right? I mean, that's toxicology for you. Always present in the world. You just hope it doesn't jump out and bite you at the wrong times in the wrong way. Last thing you want in life is to be eating lunch and then see a bunch of spiders coming at you. That's the last thing you want to see. So if you enjoyed the return of the ToxCast in this episode, please jump on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. If you have questions, please contact me at Podcast at gmail.com. Check out Twitter at Toxcast or on Facebook at the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page. Also, I have a website, dosemakesthepoison.com. Um go over there. You can there's a link to the podcast, there's a link to anything you need to know about me. Uh, there's a link to my merch shop over there if you are interested in that sort of stuff. Um, As mentioned before, I've got a new logo for the year. And of course, you can get yourself a shirt or a mug with that new logo on it. Um, I'm debuting a new Dose Makes the Poison shirt every month in 2023. Um, These will just be simple, but fun little toxin drug-related things with the Dose Makes the Poison name on them. Um, Since we talked about Dature in this episode, the shirt for January, which is now live on the website, is one with Deptura flowers on it. So check it out. Let me know if you like it. You can get yourself one of those. Um, Or you can wait until other shirts or anything come out. But it's an option. So just, again, review, email, social media, merch shop. Check it all out if you would like. So until next time, my dear friends, let's make sure it isn't several months until we talk again. I'm already working on episode 24. Please, please take care to not contaminate your spinach with hallucinogenic plants. And always, always, always remember to never practice toxicology in a vacuum.